Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible. Uh, This is episode three. We've been walking through the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter three. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think we... Uh, Do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So as we're in Matthew chapter 3, we meet quite the character here in the man John the Baptist. He was wild, he wore camel hair clothes, he ate locusts and wild honey. And we are told here in Matthew chapter 3 that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah was going to have a forerunner, a man who prepared the way. If we look over in the book of Luke chapter 1, we see his story a bit more fully. His dad, Zechariah, was a priest, and both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were seen as righteous people. Zechariah was in the temple one day offering incense to the Lord when an angel appeared and told him his wife was going to have a baby. This was a really big deal for them because they were both old, past the uh, age of childbearing, and they hadn't had any kids. And so Zechariah didn't believe the angel, thus was struck mute until John was born and was named. Another interesting note found in Luke 1 about John the Baptist is that John, while still unborn, he was still in his mother's womb, recognized the unborn Jesus when Elizabeth and Mary told each other their stories of miraculous conceptions. John leapt inside his mother's womb in excitement in the presence of the yet unborn Messiah, who was Jesus. He comes on the scene here in Matthew quite suddenly. 
and quite fiery at that. We are introduced to him through his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He follows this up uh, with a thorough dressing down of the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. And so the message that John proclaimed 2,000 years ago, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is the message I proclaim to you today. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's talk about repentance a little bit. Uh, Just some basics. It's the Greek word metanoeo, which means to change one's life based on a complete change of attitude and thought concerning sin and righteousness. Now, practically, it means this. I was going one direction, but I came to a point where I realized I was going the wrong direction. So I stopped, I turned around, and went the opposite way. And notice the duality to this. Repentance requires both a turning from something as well as a turning to something. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, from what do we need to repent? Sin. John looked at the Pharisees here in Matthew 3, and he asked them, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? For that is why repentance is needed, because there is indeed a wrath to come. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 2 verse 5 says this, You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There is indeed a wrath to come. And this is the half of repentance that certainly is not comfortable. It's not all flowers and whatever the phrase is. It's not a comfortable experience because it requires us to admit that we are sinners. It requires us to admit that we are in a state of enmity with God. Repentance happens in response to an encounter with God. It's not something we can contrive of our own volition. It is a response to an encounter with the King of Kings that brings us to a realization that we are lost and on our way to an eternal hell because of who we are. I want us to catch that because that flies in the face of the world's messaging today. The world tells us that we are all inherently good, that we're good people, that we are enough. But the Bible tells us that from birth, our hearts are set on evil. From the beginning of our life, we are set as enemies of God. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love the, when you do a study on that word fall for the Greek, it, it really is this idea of continuously. For all have sinned and we continuously fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, the first part of it, says this. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now we're going to finish that verse a little bit later. But it's telling us that all of us have sinned. Romans 3.10 says this, There is none righteous, no, not one. We read here in, in Matthew 3, that John approached the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And and I don't want us to make the same mistake that they did. John told them in verse 9, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. 
You see, the mistake they were making was that they were children of God because of their nationality. They were Jewish. They were of the nation of Israel. Thus, in their minds, that made them children of God. Well, the mistake that the world makes today is that we're all God's children. How many times have we heard that? Right? We're all children of God. No, we are not. We can't make that mistake and we can't make that assumption because it's not true. We see in scripture that only those who repent and call upon the name of Jesus are children of God. All others are under the condemnation of his wrath. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, To all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, the name of Jesus, he, again, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. Now, why would we need to be given the right to become children of God if we already were? We're not unless we repent. This message even flies in the face of of a popular gospel being preached in America today, which is salvation means Jesus just wants to be your friend. We have whittled away a conversion salvation to simply meaning just as much as a Facebook friend request. Accept Jesus as your friend. That removes all discomfort that conviction brings. It just makes it all about Jesus being our friend. But repentance requires us to come face to face with the reality that I was born an enemy of God. And until I surrender, I am placing myself in a position of enmity with God. But God is good. Repentance requires that I come face to face with my sinfulness, but it doesn't require me to stay there. Repentance is turning from that sinfulness, and it is because of Jesus that we have the ability to do that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's kind of responding to some things that he wrote in the first book of Corinthians. And he is very happy that they responded in a positive way, in a repentant way um, here in 2 Corinthians. And he says this in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 2. As it is, I rejoice, not because you are grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. Paul is telling the Corinthian church that he was thankful for the grief they felt. That grief was godly grief. It was the moment we've been talking about where we come face to face with our sinfulness. We realize the state of wickedness and unrighteousness that we are in, and that moment produces a grief. It produces a discomfort. It produces a conviction within our very being, but it is a godly grief. It is not a hopeless grief that comes from the world in which there is death, but it is a grief that causes us to turn from our wickedness, which is the first part of repentance, and in the same turn, we turn to a merciful Savior in whom we find forgiveness, grace, and salvation. Through Jesus, we find cleansing of our sin and our wickedness. The conviction that we feel in that moment is not hopeless condemnation. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But no, it is a conviction of the Holy Spirit within us that brings us to a moment where we realize who we are and where we are in relation to God, which is we are sinners, we are wicked, 
we are in a position of enmity with God. We are enemies of God. But we come to that realization in that moment. And so we're turning from our sin. We're turning from our state of unrighteousness. We're turning from that state of enmity with God. And we are turning to Jesus. And that is who we need to turn to in our repentance. And this is the other side of repentance. So the one side is, yes, there is a realization that I'm a sinner and I am an enemy of God. But as I turn from that, I turn to Jesus. He is a loving, merciful Savior. One who left the glories of heaven to come down among us, to be killed by us, so he could save us. So as we are turning from sin, we are turning to Jesus. Romans chapter 5 Uh, verse 12 and verse 18. We read verse 12 here, and this is where I just want to complete the thought because it's so, so wonderful. It says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, that was the sin that Adam committed, and because of his sin, death spread to all men because all sinned. Even so, through one man's righteous act, that is Jesus, that is his death, on the cross. The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Yes, through one man, Adam's sin entered the world, and there is this realization that because of that, I am born a sinner. But I also realize that because Jesus came, because Jesus did what he did, all I have to do is accept the free gift and results in my life being justified. Look at Romans 5, verse 6. It says this, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, that certainly is what is expected when I go to work. I expect to be paid the wages that I'm due, right? I clock in, I clock out. I, I expect to receive the wages of my work. Well, here in Romans 6.23, it tells us we can expect wages of our sin. And that wage is death. But, Paul continues, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5 and 8 But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we turn from sin, but we're also turning to a merciful savior one who loves us, one in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Matthew 3.11, the text that we read, John tells the crowd, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Who is he speaking of? He's speaking of Jesus. He is proclaiming Jesus. And so Jesus, I proclaim to you, This journey through the pages of the Bible really is a journey into knowing Jesus. Because as we open up his word, we see his heart. We see who he is. 
The first part of repentance is the uncomfortable part. It's realizing our sinfulness. It's coming face to face with our own wretchedness. But the second part is the joy we get to experience for eternity, and that is running towards Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, the first two verses, we read this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us look to Jesus. Let us run this race with one goal in mind, and that is Jesus. And that is the joy that we get to experience daily. See, that's what I said earlier about the first part of repentance is this realization that I'm a sinner and this, this moment of uncomfortable realization that I'm an enemy of God. We don't have to stay in that space. Repentance does not require us to stay there. Repentance requires us to get there, but then we move on because the rest of our life, once we come to that moment and we surrender our hearts and we come to God through Jesus, the rest of our life and the rest of eternity is spent chasing after Him. The rest of our existence here on earth and then beyond into eternity is chasing and running after the fullness of Jesus. And I can imagine an eternity now, we won't see time in eternity, but in, in words that we can understand 10,000 years from now, 10 million years from now, I'm still going to be learning more about who Jesus is because his glory is endless. His mercies are never ending. His grace is boundless. And so that's the beauty of repentance is, yes, I come to this realization of what a wretched person I am, but I do not have to stay there because the blood of Jesus comes and washes me clean. And now I get to spend the rest of eternity not wallowing in the sinfulness in which I found myself, not despairing in the state of enmity that I was in, but I get to look to Jesus and I get to see his glory and I get to run after him. And that is what we get to experience in this life and beyond. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. We read it, but let me read it again. John is saying, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire is seen throughout Scripture as a symbol for a purging, a cleansing, a burning away of the unnecessary or the wicked. In repentance, we are turning from our sin. We're turning to Jesus. And in that moment, we are justified. We are put in a position before God that as if we have never sinned. And that moment then puts us on the path to a lifetime of drawing close to him through a process called sanctification. Now to talk about that for a moment, we'll, we'll dive in a little deeper later on in Matthew and, and the New Testament. But let's just hit that little, uh, real, real uh, uh, simply here. Justification is a legal standing. 
prior to repentance, my legal standing is guilty. I stand before the judge of the universe guilty because of my sin. But justification moves me from that position of guilt to a position of guiltless. It moves me from a position of enmity with God to a position of friend of God. That's the legal term. Now practically, it takes a little bit of time. Because at the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we are legally in the courts of heaven declared guiltless and clean. But we don't automatically know what it means to walk in that declaration. That is the journey that we're in in this life. We learn throughout our life how to live less for ourselves and more for Jesus. That is sanctification. And this whole process is begun by repentance. As we read here, Jesus will baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. And that speaks of the purging process of sanctification that happens daily. I should be closer to Jesus today than I was yesterday. I should know more about how to live for him today than I did last week. Because I'm constantly drawing closer to him. And he also mentions the Holy Spirit and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our life for that role. And we'll see that in Matthew later on. We'll see that throughout the New Testament that the Holy Spirit plays an important role in the formation of our lives into who God wants us to be. Where, where is repentance leading us? Well, as we've stated, Matthew spends a great amount of real estate on the kingdom of God. Repentance is the entrance into that kingdom. So it's not a coincidence that we find this message of repentance so early in his book, because the rest of the book doesn't make sense without repentance. If we want to know what the kingdom of God is like, if we want to know what the kingdom of heaven is, it begins with repentance. It begins with us turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. Matthew chapter 3 verse 12 says this, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Where is repentance leading us? One day, Jesus is going to return to the earth. And when he does, he's looking for a pure bride, a pure church, a people in love with him. The symbolism we see here in Matthew is one of a winnowing fork. Now, if you're like me, you don't know what that is. I had to look it up. And here's, here's a little explanation. In pre-industrialized society, if I were to be working with wheat, I would take a pitchfork type tool called a winnowing fork. I would toss the wheat in the air. The light, unusable chaff would blow away in the wind while the usable grains will fall to the floor. That's the imagery we see here. And that's what Jesus will do at the end of time. So he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Now we'll talk about, again, talk about this later in more detail in Matthew, but the end game of repentance is this. It's for us to become part of the kingdom of God, where one day we will, on the other side of this life, see our Savior, our King, our Lord, and our God face to face. Where are you at? Have you ever experienced that moment of repentance? Have you ever come to that moment where you realized you were a sinner in need of a Savior? If not, 
I pray the Holy Spirit is drawing you even now to that moment where you give yourself to Jesus. Repent. Turn from your wickedness. Turn from your sin. Turn from your enmity with God. And turn to Jesus. And look to Jesus for salvation. And he will give it freely. Thank you for listening. I would ask if you'd be so kind as to rate this podcast or even subscribe if this interests you. My prayer is that the word of God does not return void and he will accomplish his purpose in us as we listen and study his word. May the Lord bless you.